Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and thank you for joining us for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on November 8th. And from our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home where we can worship the Lord and hear from his teaching and his instruction. Uh, here, as we are approaching the end of the year very quickly, it seems like 2019 has gone by very fast. Uh, we have, uh, we're now fully recovered from the Feast of Tabernacles and uh, are now looking forward to some of the events coming at the end of the year. We have a Hanukkah conference that will take place here in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, that you can uh, come and register and bring your family uh, to that. If you go to HanukkahEvent.com, you can register your family there. Something special we're doing this year, anybody 17 and under, teens and kids, are free to come to the event. We'll have a kids program and a youth program for them, uh, but one of our goals is to encourage families uh, to be able to come and celebrate uh, that holiday with us, and uh, we'll have some great guest speakers and great times of worship, and so we encourage you to be a part of that with us there, and that will be December. December 27th and 28th. It's a Friday and a Saturday, and it's a local conference here in Norman, Oklahoma. As we also are approaching the end of the year, um, I know some of the teens are getting very excited. We will be opening up registration for Camp Yeshua 2020 uh, on January 1st. Uh, we had a lot of exciting changes that are coming to that. Um, we're looking forward to the opportunity to not have to turn anybody away. We've moved campgrounds and have a much larger campground and are uh, following the vision of the Lord for Camp Yeshua to grow much larger than it even has been in the past. So we're very excited about that. And so it's never too soon to start planning for that, saving money for that. And we look forward to all the youth who will be registering there at the end of the year. We hope everybody is having a blessed time as we close out uh, this uh, time of the year. And as we approach some of the other family holidays that are coming up, uh, we hope everybody is blessed. And we hope that our service and our broadcast has been a blessing to you. Uh, if ever that uh, this free broadcast has been a blessing to you, if the Lord would stir in your heart, you can make a donation at llgive.com to help keep this broadcast free and keep it going uh, for many more years to come. From all of us here at the ministry, uh, we're happy to be a blessing to you. Now, let us now set apart the week with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath.
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pri hagafen Amen Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. (laughs) Husbands, let's bless our wives. (coughs) Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach, Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michumocha. Michumocha, Baelim Adonai. Micha mocha, nedahar bachodesh, nohorat echilot,
O Lord among the gods, who is like you? Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha'shabat, la'asot et ha'shabat l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael othi le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha'shamayim v'et ha'aret v'yom ha'shavi shavat v'yinafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha Veheyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechime zavcha hayom alevavecha. Veshinan tam lavenecha, vedepardabam beshiftecha, beyetecha, uvlechtecha, vederech ushakbika, uvkumika. Ukeshatam la ota yadecha, veheyu la totavolt binenecha, uketavtam la mozuzo betecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. I'm 
you, but uh, it's not much greater than Yeshua, to think that he would love us so much that he would come and give his life for each and every one of us, that we would no longer be in our own merit, with our own mistakes, to atone for us. Nothing goes. 
until every ear hears and every heart bows. Till everybody in the city of Chandler knows that Yeshua is king over all the earth. Until my last breath, the last sound of my vocal cords, I will shout it to the rooftops. What a powerful name. There is power in the name of Yeshua. To break every chain, to heal every heart, to set the captives free. That's your hope, that's your faith, there's your miracles, Yeshua HaMashiach. Yo! Oh. 
Your 
Shalom. Please join us as we read from Parashah Lech Lecha. Now Adonai said to Avram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so shall you be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Avram went forth as Adonai had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Avram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Avram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Avram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaani was in the land. Adonai appeared to Avram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to Adonai, who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to Adonai, and called upon the name of Adonai. Avram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Avram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Avram came into Egypt. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Avram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys, and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But Adonai struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Avram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Avram and said, 
What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Chapter 13. So Avram went up to Egypt, to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now Avram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and Avram called on the name of Adonai. Now Lot, who went with Avram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Avram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaani and the Parisi were dwelling in the land. So Avram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Yarden, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before Adonai destroyed Sodom and Amorah, like the garden of Adonai, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Yarden, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Avram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against Adonai. Adonai said to Avram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Avram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to Adonai. Chapter 14. And it came about in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Kerloamer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinav, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these came as allies to the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kerloamer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kerloamer and the kings that were with him came and defeated Rephaim, in Ashtaroth Karnaim, and the Zuzim in Cham, and the Emim in Shavakiriatim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir, as far as El Paran, which is in the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amori, who lived in Hazon Tamar, and the king of Sodom, and the king of Amorah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, came out, and they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Sidim, against Kedalormer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eleazar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Amorah fled, and they fell into them. 
But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Amorah and all their food supply and departed. They also took Lot, Avram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came and told Avram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkol and brother of Aner, and these were allies with Avram. When Avram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went and pursued as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods, and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. Then after his return from the defeat of Keraloamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of Elohim Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram of Elohim Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be Elohim Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Avram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Avram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to Adonai Elohim Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say, I have made Avram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. Chapter 15 After these things, the word of Adonai came to Avram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Avram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Avram said, O Adonai Elohim, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Avram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of Adonai came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in Adonai, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am Adonai, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Adonai Elohim, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid them each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Avram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Avram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Elohim said to Avram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I also will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amori is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, 
there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. And on that day, Adonai made a covenant with Avram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenei, the Kenizi, the Kadmoni, the Hitti, the Perizi, and the Rephai, and the Amori, and the Kenani, and the Girgashi, and the Yabusi. Chapter 16 Now Sarai, Avram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Avram, Now behold, Adonai has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Avram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Avram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Avram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Avram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Avram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I have given my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May Adonai judge between you and me. But Avram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power to do with her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of Adonai found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of Adonai said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of Adonai said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of Adonai said to her further, Behold, you are with child. And you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because Adonai has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of Adonai, who spoke to her. You are Elohim who sees. For she said, Have I re even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Avram a son, and Avram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Avram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Chapter 17 Now when Avram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Avram and said to him, I am El Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Avram fell on his face, and Elohim talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be Avraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be Elohim to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their Elohim. Elohim said further to Avram, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, 
you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then Elohim said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall you name her. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to Elohim, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But Elohim said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you should call his name Yitzhak. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Yitzhak, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, Elohim went up from Avraham. Then Avraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Avraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as Elohim said to him. Now Avraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Avraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This ends the reading of Parashah Lech Lecha. At the beginning of this parasha, we read that Avram is called out of the land that he was dwelling in and called out to go forth into the land of Canaan. He's called forth from his country, from his relatives, from everything that he's ever known and called to go into a strange land. Now we see that his response is one of obedience. For example, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Yitzhak and Yaakov, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is Elohim. Now, at that point, Avram wasn't yet Avraham. His name hadn't been changed, and he hadn't yet produced an heir. He had never been to the land to which he was instructed to journey toward. He had never known the land of Canaan. He had no family or friends there. Yet he looked forward with the eyes of faith, with vision that went beyond sight. Yeshua, when speaking of Avraham, revealed a very intriguing fact about Avraham's faith. In the book of John, in chapter 8, verse 56, we see Yeshua speaking to the Jews in the first century. 
He tells them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. It was with this same faith that Abraham willingly placed his only son of promise on an altar, as we will read in the next parashah, and with a knife in his hand was prepared to end Yitzhak's life, knowing that Adonai had the power to resurrect the dead if need be. Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 say, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Yitzhak, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, In Yitzhak your descendants shall be called. He considered that Elohim is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. It was in the same faith that Abraham's descendant, Yehoshua, demonstrated when faced with formidable walls of Jericho. Hebrews 11 verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. What is this faith that was so great in these men? Well, at the beginning of that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And Paul spoke about this in his second letter to the church at Corinth. In chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Take a look around you. Take a look at the problems that you face in your life. Everything that your eyes can see and everything that you face each day, all that is temporal. It's temporary. Your soul and the souls within everyone else who's around you. Now, you can't see those souls, but those souls are eternal. Paul referred to our struggle, our daily challenges as momentary light affliction. Whatever the problems are that you're currently facing, whatever the frustrations are in your life, whatever the difficulties are that you're wrestling with, we need to ask ourselves this question. Are these things going to matter in light of eternity, have we become so focused on our earthly circumstances that we've lost sight of the things that truly matter, the things that really have significance? It is due to this very propensity to view our entire existence through our physical eyes that we fail to see the spiritual things that truly matter. This is exactly why the invisible creator came to this earth and took upon himself flesh so that we might see him with the physical eyes upon which we are so dependent. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 say, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to Elohim, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Further, Three chapters later, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Peter puts it this way, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by the various trials, so that by the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, 
even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. May we all live as if we are completely aware that we are surrounded not by difficulties or challenges, nor by enemy or foe, but by an army of angels sent by our Father to be our front and our rear guard. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see everybody. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. The Haftor portion that goes with Lech Lecha, the portion about Abraham. This Shabbat begins in the prophet Isaiah here in chapter 40. It begins at verse 27 and extends through chapter 41 to verse 16. It includes all of those verses. Just as a quick uh, thing that I want to say, how does this portion out of Isaiah tie into the great story of introducing Abraham to us and God calling Abraham? It has to do with a single verse that's in this passage. I'm going to direct you to it immediately. It's in Isaiah 41, and it's verse 8, where it says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend... And it's from that passage that's right in the middle of this oration here that the reason why this passage is selected to be with Lech Lecha and the calling of Abraham. Now, Ephraim uh, covered these points with you earlier, but let me reiterate so that we understand the connection here. The, the whole story of Abraham begins with God calling Abram out of his father's house, taking him to a new place, to a land that I will show you. And he calls him and chooses him. Now, there's lots of people in the world at that time. And there's lots of people who believe in God at that time. But God decides to choose this particular man, Abram, and bring him out and begin to develop uh, not just a relationship of here's God, Uh, the creator, and here's the created of men, he decides to choose this man and build a relationship with this man. And that's the reason why it's referred to as the friend of God. When you refer to somebody as being the friend of someone, you're talking about not only do you acknowledge and know the person, but you have a relationship with that person. And so we're, we're seeing God develop a personal relationship with Abraham. Well, this is the basis of what we will learn in a faith called faith. Faith represents a relationship. You have faith in a person because you have a relationship with that person and there's evidences that you believe about the person. And you don't just believe things about somebody you just meet. You believe in a person after you've gotten to know them. You develop a relationship with them. In the case of uh, better be at least a friend before you would ever go to the point of saying, well, I have some faith in you. Better at least be friendly uh, with them. Just because you've been introduced to them doesn't mean that you have a relationship and, and, and so forth. 
So that's the focal point on this portion. It is really this Torah portion is focusing on what was this incredible thing that God did by choosing Abraham and to make him the friend of God. And it's very clear that God was doing the choosing here. Now, just to remind everybody, he calls him out. He says to him, I will bless those that bless thee. I will curse those that curse thee. And he says, he speaks of his descendants being very numerous, that he's going to cause him to have many descendants. And to the effect that he uses these very powerful metaphors, like the dust of the earth, like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the heaven. Every one of those metaphors has to do with, and and you can't number them. It's so great. It's just a number you just can't process. Logistically, you can't count uh, the stars. Even to this day, with all the scientific improvements and space technology and so forth, can we count the stars? No, still can't do it. The number's too big. It's too massive uh, to even be able to. So, so God used this very powerful metaphor to speak to how what he was going to do with Abram and Abraham, that he was going to do very powerfully with their descendants. Now, it is a fundamental principle in spiritual maturity in our faith that you have need to understand that you are a descendant from this man, Abraham. If you're in the Lord, if you're a believer in the Messiah, whether you realized it or not, when you accepted the Messiah and and called him your salvation, you joined the family of Abraham. Now, you were not physically born of maybe the descendants of Abraham, uh, And you don't have to be physically born. You can be adopted into the family. You can become part of a family by adoption. And the whole doctrine of adoption or election, the whole concept of being chosen by God, the chosen people, is this teaching that God can choose you and that's how you become part of the family. And as it says in the New Testament, Paul taught about we're all of the commonwealth of Israel. Israel is the name of the kingdom for the descendants of Abraham. And the fathers that have been laid out from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac is the promised son. Isaac has another son, Jacob. He's chosen over another son, Esau. This chosen one then has these descendants which become the tribes of Israel, forms the nation of Israel, the name of the kingdom. And all of us tie into this family line. All of us are a part of it. The, the idea in Christianity that, uh, for example, uh, well, now that we have Jesus, we don't have to have that other stuff. It's a completely different program now with God is absolutely false teaching. And Paul will say this emphatically. In, in fact, in the book of Romans, he refers to the lessons of Abraham for the whole justification of faith. He Later in his other letters, he is expressing very clearly about how we are of the commonwealth of Israel, that we're of the seed of Abraham. The Messiah is the seed of Abraham. And when we're born, reborn in the Messiah, we're part of this Abrahamic family. And so what God started with Abraham and choosing Abraham and his descendants, that this is the whole basis of how we get to be part of his family, part of the kingdom, uh, the work of redemption, all of the good things that God has planned.
So with that stated, let me tell you what this Haftor is. Uh, it is very clear that this is a piece of text that, we, it, that Abraham is not speaking for himself. Abraham is clearly the voice that God is speaking through. This is God speaking personally to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. So we have it recorded in the book of Isaiah, but as you read the text, there's no question this is a conversation that God is having with Israel. And he is emphatically, God is stating to the descendants of Abraham, this is who I am to you, this is my relationship with you, and this is what I'm going to do with you. And you may think there are times when, well, your relationship with God is, is not really working very well. It's, it's not really happening. Um, you know, it's kind of distant or whatever the case may be. And, and God addresses that very directly here. He addresses this emphatically and speaks very, very powerfully. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to find a text anywhere else in Scripture where you can hear God speaking to you and I in the most loving, encouraging way of who he is to us and what he thinks of us and what he's going to do with us. And, and it's all wonderful. It's all positive. It's all about, I have this plan for you and I have this kingdom and you're going to be a part of it. And so it's an incredible love, almost kind of like a love letter from God to us. And as we get into it and I read and share with you, you're going to see how powerfully this piece of text is. You could, you could take this whole Haftor portion. You could put it on the inside of a greeting card and the front part of the greeting card could be, God loves you. That, that's how powerful this text is. So with that as an introduction, let me share these words with you as to what God is expressing to the descendants of Abraham, that's us, uh, and the Messiah, his love story. This is what he's saying to us in a very positive and very encouraging way. Uh, beginning at verse 27 of chapter 40, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and the vigorous man stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like wings, like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with that last verse I've had. That is a very popular verse. It goes on a lot of interesting wall plaques, and you can buy these in Christian bookstores. And they usually got some, wing, some eagle you know, flying on the thing, and they got this verse, which sounds like a very encouraging thing. But how is it that that he uses that picture. What, what's really being pictured in here, and, and what is God really saying? 
Well, first of all, he takes this, he takes the issue that you may have about your relationship with God, and he says, does it seem like God is really working in your life? Oh, no, it really doesn't. I mean, I, I believe in God, but it doesn't seem like he's really powerful in my life. Yet he is. It's just that you're not coming to terms with it. You're, you're not believing. You're not, you're not understanding who God really is to you. And I'm talking to every descendant. I'm talking to every believer. And he, he draws the comparison of a young person. You know, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Uh, it, it, by the way, if I try to get out there and just huff it down there about 50 feet, um, you know, get into a trot, not run, just get into a trot. Just trot 50 feet. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we need the O2 bottle, you know, and, and we better sit in the shade. And by the way, you have any water to drink? Uh, you know, I don't have the strength of my youth anymore. And, of course, we admire within our world and our culture a very strong and powerful athlete. But they fatigue, too. And, by the way, you, you run these athletes that are great top world athletes. They have their limit as to how far they can run and how, how fast can they run, and, and they get tired, too. And he draws the comparison. He says, hey, it is possible for a good athlete to fatigue. I don't care how strong you, you, you are. Everybody fatigues. You know, me, I fatigue a little quicker than an athlete. But even athletes fatigue, too. they got to sit down in the shade, and they got to have a drink and catch their breath, too. We all do. We're all finite creatures. And, and so the fact that that's happening in your life, that's not the significant thing. That's normal. That's what happens to all of us. So we should not be taking that normal thing and challenging God's presence in our life or whether or not God is in favor of We We all are that way. But what he says is, even though you are that way, the power that I'm giving to you is greater than that. Far greater than that. And he uses this analogy of mounting up like wings like eagles. Um, the, there's a very specific word picture in here. I want to make sure that you understand. It's talking about the picture of, of, of an eagle taking an eaglet, a, a, a baby eagle, and taking him out to fly for the first time. The, did you know they don't, eagles don't grasp an eaglet with their talons and then go flying with them? They actually mount the eaglet up on top of the wings. The eaglet, the baby eagle, sits on top of the wings of the parent, and then they go flying that way. You're, you're actually, you, underneath you, you have the, the wing of the eagle. And to teach them how to fly, he gets them up at, at altitude, and, and he gets them to where he's starting to spread his wings out a little bit, and then he tips over and he allows the eaglet to fall off. And the eaglet is trying to figure out how to fly and so forth. And if the eaglet's not doing a good job, the, the parent eagle, the, the daddy eagle, flies down underneath and, and, and becomes like a landing platform in the middle of the air and catches him in the middle of the air. So the eaglet and then takes him back up again and, and, and then allows him to come off until the young eagle can learn to fly. So mounting up on wings of eagles is not talking about being carried around. The picture is that you're being lifted up so that you can begin to learn how to fly. And that you can fly and, and to do way more than you thought you could do. 
And by the way, that's the, that's the kind of strength the Lord gives to us, is to, by faith, do things that you couldn't do before. Um, and in this walk of faith that we have, um, those that begin to trust the Lord, the Lord is always putting you in a training program trying to teach you how to do things by faith, not by sight, not by your wisdom, not by your understanding, but to follow the things of the Lord so that you would go and accomplish things for his kingdom. Uh, the ministry here, you know, my own testimony. I didn't have any organization helping me to do this. There weren't other brethren that came to me and said, oh, yeah, we joined with you, Monty, blah, blah, blah. No, the Lord just said, we're going to do this, and Monty, I want you to do it. And I walked away from my career. I walked away from all the... Sure, You know what I did? I got up on the wings of the Lord. He's the one that lifted me up. and He took me up and he showed me how to spread my wings out and how to learn how to fly. How to walk by faith. To not have it in front of you. I couldn't see it with my own eyes. I'm not on solid ground anymore. I'm having to rely completely on Him. I learned how to live that way. To walk by faith, to to always know the Lord is with me and to be confident in the Lord, not be afraid of these things. He taught me how to overcome my fears, all of the things I thought was the right way to do things and to learn how to do things his way. So the verse says they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I testify to you and I'm speaking the truth to you. When I come up before you, and this has been my experience of all my years of teaching, when I come up to open the scripture, it's, there's something incredible happens to me. I believe it's the, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me to assist me in speaking and teaching. Uh, I call it the anointing uh, and so forth. It's a very powerful thing. Uh, and I've had many experiences of where uh, when that is happening, um, the other things don't distract me and they don't hurt me. It's like I'm in a bubble. It's like there's a shield around me for me to accomplish what I do. And I've shared this before. I've had a host of experiences in my life speaking, and I'm hearing words come out of my mouth I've never heard before. That I, I know God speaks through me to make a statement, and I'm, I'm inside listening too. In fact, that is a very interesting personal experience, is to hear the words coming out of your mouth, and I'm inside going, well, that's very interesting, Lord. I'm I'm being edified. I'm being fed by what it is. And, of course, when those things happen, inevitably people will come up to me after the service. They'll repeat that part and say that was edifying to them, too. And I say, yeah, I know. I know. I know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, because it's evidence of the Spirit, the power of God uh, working through me, running and not being weary. In my very early days in the ministry, there were times when, when I would finish teaching that, uh, that I knew that I had accomplished what God wanted me to do because all of a sudden I would come out from under the, this kind of anointing that I would have. And all of a sudden, whereas I was strong and stable and nothing seemed to affect me, all of a sudden I was kind of back to where I was in the real world and everything was affecting me again. And the sudden jolt was like the word picture I shared with other people. It's just like some guy took a flat blade shovel 
took a baseball swing at and hit me in the back right about where the kidneys are at. I mean, it was like, you know, just take the breath out of me. The sudden return coming out from under the anointing because it was so physically empowering to me. that It it actually controlled my breathing, my anxieties, my emotions. It it strengthened me in all ways uh, to do those things. This is what God is saying. That he has this ability to empower you to go beyond what you understand your physical world to do. That this is the relationship he has with you and that this is what he does. The, um, he gives you courage. You know, men who have been in battle, and by the way, when you get into a real battle, you have lots of emotions and fear and apprehension and sweat and you get thirsty and and you're dirty and I mean you're not thinking about any of those things the moment that courage takes over and you become a hero and you save your buddy you're you're not dealing with any of that kind of stuff that's not going through your mind the moment of exercising that courage in battle is you don't worry about your wounds they don't slow you down you don't worry about your discomfort. You don't. You don't. You run. You you don't worry about running. Uh, you 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 accomplish things, and people see what you accomplish as it's, it's miraculous. How in the world is he doing that? And uh, and that's how when courage takes over, and empowers your will, you're able to do far more than what you realize that you could do. Part of the part of the training that they do for special forces is specifically to train them that they can do more than their mind thinks they can do and they can do more than their body says they can do. They can go a little bit further than what they realize they can do. It's a case of of your will and your courage. And so the whole idea of special forces, they train them to be able to fight at that level. Well, the Lord wants you to walk out the faith like that. He wants every one of us in walking out our faith, our relationship with God, to get super empowered. To stop being your normal mortal self and mount up on wings of an eagle. To go forward and accomplish more than you even imagined that you could do in the Lord. The Lord wants you to draw you in to be a part of that. So now let's see what he says in chapter 41. Coastlands, listen to me. In silence, and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who has aroused one from the east, whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword and wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursueth them, passing on in safety by a way he has not been transversing with his feet. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. The analogy I just got through giving to you about training up a, a, a special forces soldier to go beyond you know, what you can think to go beyond your physical stamina. He basically is talking about people that can do that. He's talking about, I'm going to call you and to me, and that's what you're going to do. You're going to be a powerful force, like the picture of a powerful special forces soldier. 
Every one of you will be empowered to go into battle way beyond what you thought you could do. To be empowered uh, to, to do great things. Verse 5. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good, and he fastens it with nails, that it should not totter. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be ashamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you but will not find them. Those those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent, for I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new, sharp, threshing sledge with double edges. And you will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and make the hills like chaff and you will winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the storm will scatter them. But you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Well, what a pep talk. That is a pep talk. I mean, that is like going into the football team and saying, to the quarterback, you're going to be the greatest quarterback that's ever played the game. Mr. Tackle, you are going to play the position of tackle better than you've ever played it before. And your opponent on the other side of the line is going to be very sorry they had to face you. You Not only are you guys going to win the game, in every position, you're going to defeat your opponent. In fact, if your opponent puts a mountain in front of you, you're going to take the mountain out. If he pours up a great defense against you, you will winnow it. You will pulverize it. You will turn it into powder so that the wind just blows it away. I mean, that is, um, that's quite a pep talk. That's the pep talk God is making to us, the descendants of Abraham. Did you know this is our heritage in Abraham? You know, it, when, when we get to the kingdom... Do you know how many heroes are going to be in the kingdom? Where God will be calling out the heroic acts of the believers? A whole bunch. A whole bunch. Um, now, most of us are sitting here probably listening and saying, well, that's great for other people, Monty, but I'm, I'm not one of those. I beg to differ with you. I beg to differ with you. This is talking about every believer. This is talking about anybody who names Israel, anybody who names the God of Israel. This is what we have. Now, it may be that in the course of your lifetime, you've not quite seen this manifested. Maybe you have. 
Maybe there's already been moments in your life God has used you in a powerful way in the lives of other brethren or your family or whatever the case may be. But this is the destiny of all of the saints. Now, I personally think we're going to see a whole bunch of this associated with the Great Tribulation. I think the believers that escape, that become the Tribulation saints, are going to do incredible, heroic acts of, of God. Incredible things. And, and, and by the way, there is no greater conflict for us as brethren, because that is the big war of God with his enemies. And in the midst of that ongoing war, we will have our opportunities to do these incredible heroic things that are beyond the scope of what we think our life is today. There will be challenges, and I'm here to tell you, because you are a descendant of Abraham, and because you have this heritage from Abraham, that God chosen Abraham and thus chosen you, this is what God says. He says, I will be right there, and I will hold you with my right hand. And the, the, the testimony that we all share, the specific testimony that we, we all have, let me read it to you again. Um, verse 14 I love this wording do not fear you worm Jacob because there's a bunch of you going around I'm just a worm <laughs> you know I'm soft and squiggly and there's nothing firm about me I'm, I'm a worm he actually calls us out he says oh I know you know you, you the one that thinks you're a worm I'm talking to you the one who thinks you have no strength you worm Jacob I will help you. Not just the ones you think that could be helped. I'm, I'm intending to help you, the one you think you're just a worm. And he says, I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Who is the Redeemer who's called the Holy One of Israel? Yeshua the Messiah. That's one of his titles. Yeshua, the Messiah, is the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer of Israel. And that's directly connected. So if you have the testimony, if you have the testimony that you believe in the Holy One of Israel, you believe in the Messiah, you see him as your redemption, as your Savior and your Messiah, the seed of Abraham that is extended to you, and you think, well, not me, Lord, I'm, I'm just a worm here. As lowly as I could be, I'm, I'm the lowest thing there is in the dirt. I'm a worm. He said, even you, I'm going to help you. I will be your help for you. Now, I don't know how to put it any, any, any clearer. The contrast that has been set up the way that the Lord has said it is, is abundantly clear. Uh, I have no words that really can add to what he's said. But this is emphatically a very positive message. This. this is as good as it gets. Personal encouragement from the Lord to us directly. This is not Isaiah talking to us anymore. Did you hear that? Isaiah penned this, and it's in his book. But did you hear the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah? Did you hear him speaking to you? You can only get this connection... 
if you see that Abraham is your father. That's the only way you can get this. You have to go back and you have to accept the testimony of what God did with this man Abraham when he called him out and he declared him to be his friend. He built a relationship with him. And from there he began to build a family that led to a nation that led to the kingdom of God. And if you get connected all the way back with Abraham and you're adopted into Abraham's family, you know, by the belief in the Messiah, then this is your heritage. This is the, the promise from God right to us. And he's trying to remind you, and that's the reason why this portion is, is, is associated with Lech Lecha. Why is God doing this for you? Because of the, the descendants of Jacob and Abraham, my friend. This is the reason why I'm doing this for you. Very powerful, very exhortive, and very profound in its sex. This is the teaching of Isaiah telling you why it's important for you to study Lech Lecha, to study the story of our father Abraham. And as, um, as Ephraim said to you, uh, thank you, Lord, for the stories of our fathers. It turns out there's a lot more to those stories that are about us. And that's the reason why we study them. We need to know about that relationship God had with them because it also describes the relationship with us. What happens to the fathers happens to the descendants. And God has great plans for us uh, to receive glory in his kingdom and be a part of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. That's our Haftor portion uh, to us. Shabbat Shalom. Join me in a word of prayer now as we close from the teaching. Father, thank you for this very encouraging word in the Haftors from the prophet Isaiah. And uh, it helps to illustrate to us to understand the incredible relationship that you developed with our father Abraham. Help us too, Lord, to see ourselves as the fulfillment of the promise to our father. Help us to see as a, as a part of the plan, part of the heritage, part of the family of Abraham. And as you called Abraham your friend, Lord, we would desire to have such a relationship with you that we would be your friend as well. You would be our friend, and we'd have a basis to believe in you and trust in you. Strengthen our relationship with you, Lord, even if it has to begin at the friend level. Help us, Lord, to build that relationship with you that our father Abraham uh, demonstrated. We ask all of this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 4, where our Brit Hadashah portion for this week will begin. Let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time uh, here for each Arab Shabbat that we can come together, that we can study your word, study your instruction. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time, this opportunity, as we once again look and study our father Abraham. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us in this place. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. Our Torah portion for this week is Lech Lecha, which begins in Genesis chapter 12 and begins the story of Abraham. His name is Abram at the time. Later, it will be changed to Abraham. I think after the name was changed, I always have a tendency to still call him Abraham, even though at this time in the story, he was called Abram. It's the story of God calling him from out of his father's house, out of the country where he had been, 
and then bringing him into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, we have this amazing blessing that comes there at the beginning, talking about getting out of the country. I love reading this blessing. Let me go ahead and read the first three verses of Genesis 12. Once again, as we've heard this week already, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will cause those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the beginning of our faith through our father Abraham that we have in the Lord. God called Abraham and called him his friend. And he dwelt with, he went with him and he called him. We all could, should hope that in our own faith that we would have the same call that Abraham received to where the Lord spoke clearly, audibly and said, Abram, get out of your father's house. I will bless you. This is what you are to do. And man, it's like if any of us walking in our, in our faith in the Lord ever have that call or ever hear that calling of the Lord, it's like that's just the confirmation that God is with us. God is watching over us. He's, he's protecting us and he's thinking about us. And we all should hope and pray that we would have that same testimony. When we get to Romans and we get to Paul in his letters and as he's uh, going and preaching the gospel uh, there in to the Romans and to the Galatians and to all of these people who have now heard the testimony of Yeshua, of the salvation through him, Paul goes back and he references our father Abraham as a lesson to those who are now believers in Yeshua the Messiah. This is obviously for us, who many of us in the Messianic movement grew up in the Christian church, have a faith and a testimony of Yeshua, and we go through the same pattern when we go back and study the Torah on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, hear about our father Abraham, and that through the lessons of our father Abraham, we can learn what it means to have faith, to believe in God, to believe in the promises of God, to have that kind of relationship with God, the one that Abraham had with God. I've said many times before, it's all about having a relationship with the Lord. It's all about the covenant that we have with God. We can talk about religion. We can talk about the things that we do, our practices, our customs, and and what we do and how we speak and how we uh, act with one another or how we act toward God. Ultimately, all of it boils down to is, what's your relationship with the Lord like? Do you have a working relationship with the Lord? Can you call upon the Lord and he will answer? And when the Lord calls upon you to do something, will you answer? What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? So by obviously looking at our father Abraham, we look at this, the, 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 uh, the epitome of what a relationship with God should be and what it should look like. Now, as, we, as I say that, you might say, oh, well, I want to have a relationship with God like Abraham had. Well, you have to remember some of the things that Abraham had to do and just how much faith Abraham had to then you might realize, wait, do I really want to have the same relationship that Abraham had with the Lord? Because here's what happened with with some of these things. When, When he called Abraham, he was 75 years old when he was called and he was taken to the land and he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed and that you're in your seed and that you will be the a father of many nations. That's why his name was changed to Abraham from Abram, where it was father and father of many. And then it's changed to father of many nations is what the meaning of the name is. And yet he didn't have any sons. He didn't have any heirs. He didn't have any children. 
Not until the promise came much later, came 25 years later. We have to know, we have to question, do you have the patience to wait 25 years for the promise of God to, uh, to, to be fulfilled? Well, man, it's in this day and age, we can't wait 25 minutes for, for a fast food order to come or anything else that we're wanting to happen. It's like we have no, pay, we have no patience to be able to wait on the Lord for, for something like that. I mean, you start to question, well, it's like if you felt like the Lord called you and then you heard it, it's like, are you even going to pay attention to it? I mean, do you, are you going to question, did I really hear from the Lord? If it didn't happen, you know, 25 minutes later, if it didn't happen the next year, if, if you had to wait 25 years for some promise that you think God told you, would you really have the patience to do it? Abraham did. That is what makes his faith so powerful. Let me read it in here now in Romans chapter 4, and we talk about what Paul is trying to teach the people of Rome. He's trying to teach them that no matter whether they are a Gentile or that they are Jew, whether they're naturally born of Israel or not, that they have rights to the blessings by believing in Yeshua and that by having faith in the Messiah. And that grace is being afforded to them because they didn't grow up with the law. They didn't grow up with all of this instruction, the instruction of the law and by works and all of these things. And so Paul is trying to teach a very specific lesson here through our father, Abraham, where it says this in Romans chapter four. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Very interesting here. This is where he's starting to make this contrast between having faith and then performing works and and things physically, physical actions that you take to show whether Do you truly believe in God and what kind of blessings come from God when you do one versus the other? Now, much of this conversation is all about salvation. It's all about whether you have salvation through the Messiah and that people in this in this time and in Rome and in other places throughout the world, they somehow thought that it was by works you received salvation. It's what you do. It's what commandments you keep is what proves how saved you are. And the whole point of the Messiah and what Paul's words and everything that he is ever trying to say in these letters and here in the New Testament is trying to say, it's like, it's no, it's not by your works. It's not by your justified by works that somehow you will then receive the salvation of God and that you will have eternal life. No, it's the belief in Yeshua. It's the belief and the faith that you have that brings you salvation. Many people have used some of these words in these instructions to dispute whether we are now still under the law and that we actually keep the law of Moses if we now have Yeshua. We now have many people have said over the years with the idea of replacement theology, and this has been the words of the church for hundreds of years as well, is that. Now that we have replaced the law, we're now no longer under the law. You're not justified by works or that you don't have to do those things. Because you have grace and because you have Yeshua, that's what gives you salvation and everything is good. Well, the thing is this, is that that doesn't change the fact that it's the obedience of the law that shows God that you love him. That you do listen, that you do obey. 
We're not talking about salvation here, whether you have salvation and it's about who you believe in. Right there, the very last thing I said there in verse 4, it says this. But now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay, so it's not about grace. It's not about you do these works and then suddenly grace is then given to you. No, grace is freely given to you by God. We learned that from the previous Torah portion about Noah, that grace, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what did, what did Noah do at that point in time? Well, we don't have any records of him that he somehow was this great uh, uh, keeper of all the commandments and all the laws and all of these things. And that, so, that somehow that grace was given to, to Noah. No, grace is freely given by God. That's when God chooses you, chooses you to be a part of his family. He chooses you. God chose us first. What we then have to do is then we have to then show that we won, but receive that grace and that we believe in him. But then what do you do? You then show by your actions that you do believe in him, that you obey him. And obedience produces blessing. That's when you receive the blessing of following what God has said. So when it says that your works are counted as debt, well, actually what that is is this, is that you do good, you do, you obey the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, and then the wage that would come back to you is blessing. It's an exchange. It's, it, it's an exchange where you obey and then blessing is given. I read one article. I don't know if I agree with the language that, of, of what it was said, but somebody said this, is that when you obey, well, then God then owes you a debt of blessing to give back to you to reciprocate your obedience and what you did. Now, I don't know if I agree with the language that somehow we, as children of God, can then go to God and then say, oh, well, I obeyed the Lord. I obeyed you. So now you owe me a blessing. No, I would recommend that we never say that to God and that children, if they ever say that to their parents, are probably going to get themselves in trouble. Instead, what it is, is we're simply understanding the nature of the exchange is that your works in the flesh get paid. You get paid a debt basically in the flesh, blessings that come in the flesh. And I've said this about the, all of the commandments of the, of the Torah, is that if you follow the commandments of Torah, you will be blessed in this life. You absolutely will. If you don't kill anybody, well, then you won't be sent to prison. If you don't steal anything, well, then you'll actually have friends that trust you with their belongings and you'll have better relationships with all of the people that you know. <coughs> Excuse me. These blessings are all, this is how it works. You obey, you receive a blessing. You obey in the flesh, you do these works, you receive a blessing. The whole idea of believing in Yeshua doesn't replace that type of exchange. Just because we have faith in God, faith in Yeshua, and that we have received eternal life, and that we've been adopted in to the family of God, doesn't change the fact that when you do good, you receive good. You reap what you sow. That's a spiritual principle. And in fact, if we go back to the couple of verses before Romans chapter 4, Paul better explains this. As, as we're going into this and we're, talking, we're going to be talking about works versus faith and, and grace and, and, and all of these things, that some people have misconstrued all these words to mean that we don't have to be under the law, or we don't have to do the law. This is what he says here at the end of Romans chapter 3 that kind of clarifies this. And this is talking about boasting. This is talking about, I've done these works, so I deserve this. Like I just said, that's something we should not say to God, nor should a child say to his parent, nor anybody should boast about what we've done or what we've earned. It says this in the start of verse 27 of chapter 3. Where is boasting then? 
It, it is excluded by the law. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Or is he also God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. But do, uh, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 3. This is the thing that kind of that, that, that caps this whole idea that he's having to say this to basically clarify, look, we're not talking about replacing the law. Do we make void the law through faith? No. The law is not voided because we have faith and we have the grace through the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. Certainly not. On the contrary, the works of faith establish the law this is that's the last thing he said before he started talking about abraham here so think about this for a minute that abraham and he had his faith he believed in god he followed what god said and he believed that there was god and that he was leading him and that there were promises that would be given to him and all of these blessings would come this is all happening before the law came at mount sinai and all these things are happening the faith of abraham established the means and the precedent for us to then have the law of Moses. This is the order of things. This is what I believe Paul is trying to convey. He's trying to convey. Before even talking about Abraham, he's trying to say that, we look, we're not voiding the law here, but we're establishing the law. We're establishing the precedent for the law by talking about faith. So this is what we're talking about here. That if law, it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed in God. That's what Abraham, that's the quote that it specifically says. Now, the passage, the specific passage it's quoting from our Torah portion this week is actually from Genesis chapter 15. After some of these things have happened with Abram, Abram had come into the land. His nephew Lot came with him, which I've taught before that when it said that he was supposed to get away from his family, that he was supposed to leave his father's house, the whole idea of Lot coming with him, that should have never happened, honestly. Because Lot was nothing but a, a burden to him in his life after coming into the land of Canaan. Lot got himself, they, they, there was strife between them, they split the house. Lot ended up going to dwell in the areas of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then that got captured, and then it was captured by a king, and then Abram had to then go help to recapture all of these possessions and go save his nephew. And it's like if his nephew was never there, he wouldn't have had to do that. And so... <clears throat> excuse me, all of those things all shouldn't have happened because Lot shouldn't have been with him. So some of these things that happened, Abram also went down to Egypt to, because there was a great famine in the land. This is actually a pattern of all the, many of the patriarchs who had to go to Egypt to have their life spared, and even the Messiah himself, or in Matthew chapter 2, that because of the threat to his life, had to go to Egypt to have his life preserved. So there's an amazing parallel there. But what happened is here in uh, Genesis chapter 15 is that a, the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision and he says to him, let me go now to Genesis 15. And this is where the specific wording and the specific phrasing comes from the first six verses here. God speaking to Abram, he says this, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. 
But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? And the heir to my house is Eliezer of Damascus, that was his servant. And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he, will, and he brought him outside, and he said, Look now toward the heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And, it, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and it accounted to him for righteousness. That might be an argument where it'd be like, okay, I don't have any kids. And then the Lord says, well, look at all the stars if you can number them. That's your descendants. Now, he believed him. He didn't argue. He didn't say anything else after that. One thing he could have said, well, <laughs> good luck, Lord. I still don't have any kids. That could have been his rebuttal. But instead, he said he believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the quote that's there we're talking about here in Romans. Here's something I want to point out. When we're talking about the works of Abraham, the faith of Abraham, what exactly had Abraham done up to this point? The whole idea of what Abraham has done is actually, it's what he hasn't done. Honestly, think about this. He packed up his family and he, he did move and he went, went to the land. But then he hadn't done anything specific really to necessarily to earn the blessing. Okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make sure I get the blessing from the Lord. He went down to Egypt. When he came back from Egypt, he actually received a whole lot of blessings coming out of Egypt. That was obviously a blessing from the Lord about Abraham's obedience. Then what happened after he rescued his nephew Lot and then met with Melchizedek, the uh, the king of Salem and the the, the uh, king of righteousness is what the name of the mean the the name is. At the end of chapter 14 in Genesis, what actually happened was this, was that the king of Sodom wanted to give him all of these blessings because of helping to recover the blessings and saving his nephew Lot. But then Abram said, no, I don't want to receive those blessings. Those were blessings that came from the, that obviously Sodom and Gomorrah, the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah was already prevalent and that he wasn't going to receive those blessings. And so rather than thinking this was more blessing from God, he was wise and discerning to know that blessing is not for me. I'm not going to take those blessings. It was more about what Abraham didn't do than what he did do when it comes to the blessings and when it comes to his faith in the Lord. See, because the whole idea was, was that God promised these things to him, but then God is the one who's going to give them to you. God, this is always going to be a work of the Lord that's going to happen. This isn't going to be the work of men that is going to bring you the blessings and going to return the blessings to you. It's always going to be God. You're obeying God. You're not obeying men. And so Abraham, this was immediately following him rejecting these blessings. Chapter 15 of Genesis says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. After he had all rejected the, the, the reward trying to come from the king of Sodom. And so this is where God recognizes in Abram, Abraham, truly what his faith is. It's a faith in God, not a faith in men. And that obviously through the next, uh, through 25 years of waiting for his son to actually be born, obviously it was more about what Abraham didn't do, as in he didn't try to always get the blessing for himself. He didn't try to justify his relationship with God through his works. Instead, it was just his faith. Now, that didn't stop, of course, in the course of that time. It was at the prompting of his wife, Sarai, or Sarah, uh, it was what her name was changed to later, 
that in chapter 16 of Genesis, that then they were like, okay, well, um, I have, I don't have a, I'm barren. I don't have a child. And she gives her handmaiden Hagar to Abram so that he might then have an heir. And this is how Ishmael was born. But again, that's through the prompting of his wife, not through Abraham. And so the whole idea is that Abraham is still waiting on the Lord to give him the sign. The Lord is going to show this. The Lord is going to make this happen. And the Lord has made these promises that it's not Eliezer. And then it's also will be promised to him. It's not Ishmael that will be the son of promise, but it will be through your wife, Sarah, and through your seed will come the promise of the son. All of this faith all happened before works are trying to be done by Abram. He's not trying to earn his faith or earn what God has promised to him by doing works. Going back to Romans chapter 4, what continues on, Paul also mentions David here, talking about an instance and talking about David, how he also wasn't looking about, the. it's not about one's deeds that earns them blessing. And because it says this, and it's quoting from the Old Testament here in verse 7 of Romans 4, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. The blessing comes not by the deeds. The deeds are, are whether you sin, those are to be forgiven or be made no more. But the, then the blessing comes because of that. But it's by your faith that you receive the salvation of the Lord. Verse 9 in Romans 4 now goes into talking about circumcision. See, because when we talk about the deeds that Abram did or Abraham did, one of the things you might do is that this was a physical act that Abraham was called to do that was a sign of the covenant that he had with God. It's a sign. It's a mark. It's a physical example of that we have covenant with God. It's the same reason why we exchange wedding rings in a wedding so that there is a physical sign of of a relationship or a physical sign of a covenant. But Paul here is very specifically explaining that we are talking about that it's not about being circumcised on whether faith is counted for you. Once again, he's proving the point. It's not about works. It's about having faith, believing in the promises of God and receiving the grace from God. Romans 4 verse 9. Does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also. This is back to the Jew and Gentile thing that I read earlier. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. This is a direct argument to anybody that might say, you can't come into the family of God. You can't be a believer until you've gone through circumcision. This is where somebody who, anybody who might have the sign of circumcision, who might say, this is the sign that we are the people of God, that we are the children of Abraham, because obviously in ancient times and still to this day, that you do that and you perform that act and you obey that commandment so that you might be a son and an heir to Abraham. 
He's the father of circumcision. You do this. You then prove that you are a son of Abraham. You believe in him and you're obeying the, what has been given to Abraham. So the idea is this, is that we then have faith in Yeshua. We then come into, come into the family through the blood of Yeshua. And then some people might say, well, I've been circumcised since the eighth day. You have not. You don't get to be in the family of Abraham unless you are circumcised. This is, the, this is certainly an argument that has been made before. You must have this sign. You must walk in this way. You must be this way. And then Paul is disputing that, however. Paul is speaking to the fact of this. Abram received the blessings, received grace from God, received all of these things, and was, faith was counted to him for righteousness. Back in Genesis chapter 15, he had not yet been circumcised yet. That the circumcision, that sign of the covenant, is something that comes later. It's something that comes after you have proven you're in covenant with God. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, you form a relationship with your spouse. You have that relationship. You start moving toward marriage long before you ever give them the ring. And there's other things that you, that you act a certain way and you're in covenant with. And then you later show and you celebrate anniversaries or you give other gifts. Or there's other signs that show the covenant that you have with them. If you remember the children of Israel, they weren't circumcised in the wilderness. They were circumcised in the land. Joshua circumcised the, the, in Joshua chapter 5. Circumcised all the sons of Israel that crossed over the Jordan from the, from the wilderness. That was also teaches us about how circumcision is a sign that connects the children of Israel to the land of to to the promised land. But also it's the it's the idea of this. Does that mean God wasn't in covenant with Israel while they were in the wilderness? Of course not. There were many men among the children of Israel in the wilderness, seeing the miracles of God, believing in God, preparing their hearts to go into the promised land, all while yet uncircumcised. So the whole idea of that, that that is somehow the first thing that somebody must do to show they're in covenant with God, that is what Paul is disputing here. God gives and grants, the, grants grace, grants favor, grants blessing, and invites people in to be heirs into the kingdom, into the family of God, even if they're not yet showing the signs of it. It's both to the Gentile and the Jew alike. Now, does that mean that the Gentiles are now greater than the Jews and that we are now talking about how everything the Jews have ever done in following the law and circumcising their sons on the eighth day, that all of that is null and void and doesn't matter anymore because we now have Yeshua and we now have all these other people coming into the faith? No, one does not replace the other. God forbid, Paul says. God forbid that the, that the grace that we're talking about given to uncircumcised people voids the law of circumcision. It does not. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to show that this is a much broader picture. This is that the, the, the salvation and the gospel message, yes, went to the Jew first, but then it's to go to all Gentiles as well. That's why we're writing a letter to the Romans. That's why we also write a letter to the Corinthians and to the Galatians. And as you look down the tabs of your Bible and every other group of people who were not naturally born Jews needed to receive the message. The whole point here of Romans is that he is trying to teach us to be children of God, to be invited into the family of God. Going ahead to chapter 8 of Romans, everything that he's speaking to is leading to the point that you are now sons of the living God, heirs to the kingdom, sons of adoption, and all have been brought in 
to the family of Abraham through Yeshua. This is, what I, this is how I actually like to, to, to think of it this way. When we're talking about being messianic, we have the testimony of Yeshua, but then we study Abraham or Father Abraham and the commandments through Moses and, and all of these things. And we have this covenant, this amazing covenant, this everlasting covenant that it was given to us through Abraham. And then the Messiah comes along and he's giving us a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant. One doesn't replace the other. But ultimately, if we're going back to the God of the Old Testament, who called this man Abraham, to be his friend, to be in covenant with Abraham. And it was Abraham is like the, the pinnacle of the man that we are aspiring to be that had faith and believed in God and God was in covenant with him. That's kind of what we look to Abraham. Abraham's the, the father of that. He gives us that first real example of that. And so we want to be children of Abraham. The covenant of Abraham, all the families of the earth get to be blessed. In his seed. Does that mean he's literally the father of all nations? No. But it's his, through his seed that all families are blessed because it's in his seed that came the Messiah that allowed for all families to come into the family and receive the blessings of Abraham. That's the pattern. That's how it works. Another way I like to look at it is this, is that Yeshua is a sign for us to follow. Many of us coming into faith in Yeshua it's like Meshua is this bright light that's sitting on top of a mountain. And we might be scattered in a wilderness, in a valley, in a wasteland, not knowing where to go. But then we see a light on the horizon. So what we do is we're going to follow that light. We're going to follow Yeshua. We're going to follow that example. And this is why I believe there is nothing wrong with people first coming into faith in Yeshua, then learning about Torah and following the commandments. Just because it chronologically came second in our Bibles doesn't mean that, you, that that's the exact pattern that it works for all people. For the Jews, yes, they start with Torah, and then if they then learn and realize the Torah points to Yeshua, then they receive that salvation. You can go that way. You also have people that learn about the salvation of Yeshua and then are continuing to dig deeper into the roots of their faith and then discover Torah and the commandments and all the covenants that came in the Old, in the Old Testament, that it all is compatible and it all helps you to understand all of the scripture and all of the power and glory of God. There's no wrong way to do it. One, it's, it's not wrong to do it one way or the other. So the idea is this. We follow after Yeshua. We see Yeshua bright light. When you follow and you get closer and closer to that mountain where Yeshua is, we're not worthy enough to go up that mountain. But you know what we find? We find an entire community of people in the covenant of Abraham at the base of that mountain. We are led into the family of Abraham and we, were, we find other believers who walk with us, who go with us in that belief, in that faith. But it was because the leading of Yeshua that pointed us to the covenant of Abraham. Now, that doesn't mean that Abraham was greater than Yeshua. God forbid. That's not what I'm saying. Some might think that. It's like, oh, because he was the father the, the physical seed the, and the father that makes one greater than the other. No, we got to stop with this idea that we have to create a contrast and that one is greater than another or one replaces another. It doesn't work that way. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of heaven and earth, is the same God of the Old Testament, is the same God of the New Testament. It's all one God. Why do we keep pretending that one is replaces the other? That's not what Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 3. And let us not ever misconstrue these words that Paul is speaking to the Romans, where he is trying to speak to the fact that we must have faith in Yeshua and in the promises of God, like our father Abraham did. 
Now, Abraham also performed works. He also did things and did signs and did the covenant. But those works don't justify our faith. They don't justify the us in, in, in who we are and what our standing is before God. Our faith is what puts us in the standing before God. It's our works that give us blessing. It's our works that show to our other brethren. It's almost more, it's like that, it's that sign. It's that sign that we show. Who do you believe in? That's everything that it is. Whenever somebody says, well, I believe in God. Well, okay, you believe in God. Well, show me what commandments he has commanded you and what you actually do. And I'll tell you whether you believe in God, whether you follow him and whether you obey him. That's, that's what it's all about. He has called us. He is our father. He is our heavenly father. He has called us to obey him. If we choose not to obey him, then we don't receive the blessing. For sometimes we might even get punished. Does that change the fact that he's our father? No. It is our faith that is counted for us for righteousness that calls, that allows us to be in standing for us to call him our father. It's the obedience that produces blessing. So people trying to justify themselves by their obedience, like I'm your son because I, because, uh, I obey you. Well, however, you could, there's a lot of people running around in the world today that might say, well, I do all of these great things. And so then that means that justifies me and, and who I am and who I have a relationship with. It's like, no, you, you could say that. You think that your works justify you. No, it's do you have faith? Do you actually have that covenant relationship with that person? Well, that's what we need to have with the Lord our God. Now, it continues on here in Romans chapter 4. My time is, is running short here, where it continues to give some more of these examples. That it says he was going to make him the father of many nations, and that it's, again, what I already said, that it's through his seed, and that all those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all, is the, those who are in the family of God. That's what we have to understand, and that it's like that, that there was... Um, let me read this one part here. Um, Sorry, verse 19 of Romans chapter 4 it says this. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was already 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, given glory to God, and being fully convinced that he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Again, if we look at deeds, if we look at what's capable of being done, Abraham being 100 years old, probably not able to father children. His wife was 90 years old. Her womb was closed and, and she had passed the age of childbearing. He could look at the deeds and say, this can't be done. It can't be done. Not with, with, this, with what we have, we cannot fulfill this promise. That would be someone who's focusing on the deeds and the works and what people are capable of doing. Instead, he did not waver. He gave all glory to God and he still believed in God that it was still possible. I heard recently somebody came into the office and, and, and mentioned this and he says, look, all I'm trying to do when it comes to what God's doing in my life, all I got to do is get out of the way and let God work. That's how God receives all the glory. That's what God receives the glory if we get out of the way of what God is trying to do. That's kind of the point that I want to make about our father Abraham. 
The whole he got out of the way for 25 years. His whole job was basically to get out of the way so the Lord could work. So 25 years later, it could be fulfilled and he would have his promised son and he would have his son, Isaac. He just needed to when God called him, he obeyed. But then if there's anything else going on, maybe he is hearing this from his friend, this deal with Lot and thing happening with his wife, Sarah. All he needed to do was get out of the way so God could be glorified. Sometimes it's not about what you do, it's about what you don't do. All fall into the category of works and deeds. We should never try to justify ourselves by doing more than we're supposed to or doing less when God calls us to do something specific. And it's not that we do those things out of obedience so that we receive the blessing of those things and of that obedience. But ultimately, our faith is to be in God and in the Lord and we should be believing that he will do what he has said he will do. When he has promised that he will return, when he has promised that, um, that, we will be, that we will be blessed or will be given eternal life and that we believe these things and we have the faith and we, in our prayer life, we have this relationship with God. Ultimately, we should never be, well, I did this, Lord, and we're justified by what we do. No, it's getting out of the way of the Lord, letting him work. And when he calls for us to obey, we obey. And then we never try to do more than we're supposed to to try and make the promises happen. No matter if we're looking for the return of the Lord, anything that we do in our lives to prepare for the return of the Lord isn't going to make the Lord come faster. Those works are not going to prove that we're ready. Spiritually, we must be ready by having the same faith that our father Abraham had. And if we have that faith, then it's counted us for righteousness, and it is the right thing to do. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for this passage of Scripture, for this instruction. We thank you for our Father Abraham, Lord, and the example that he is to us. Father, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us, Father. Father, may we obey when you call, and Father, may we stay out of your way when you have called us to wait or be patient, Father. May we always exemplify the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, to be long-suffering and patient, Father, just as our father Abraham was, as we wait for your promises to be fulfilled. Father, may we have faith. May our faith be counted as righteousness for you, Father, to, to you. And, and, Father, we thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor. We thank you for inviting us into your family to be heirs to the kingdom of the inheritance that you have offered to us. Father, we thank you for all of these blessings that you give to us, Lord. Father, may we be encouraged and strengthened in our faith each and every week as we study your word and your instruction. And Father, I pray that everyone receives a wonderful blessing on this Sabbath day. We thank you for all of these things. It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
לך Bow down. 